This is going to be interesting this evening. This is probably, best title for this would probably be Bill's Potpourri of Various Verses That Keeps Him On Course. Uh, you know, you, when you have an opportunity to uh, be honored to teach, uh, you know, it, it's both uh, a joy and a terror at the same time uh, because you know the preciousness of what you're attempting to handle uh, and yet the joy of having the privilege to so do. So uh, you'll need probably your Bibles handy if you want to look at the words. Uh, I didn't have, uh, I, I didn't give the, uh, the screen boys enough uh, notice of what I was going to talk on. Uh, so that they have the verses on the screen. It'll be a surprise as we go through these things. Uh, beginning with Romans 12, as you well know from our recent uh, ventures through Romans, uh, Paul is explaining the real deal all through the first 11 chapters, and then he gets to our, our response in chapter 12, uh, probably one of the more famous verses of, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, the, the problem with the living sacrifice is that you get, you get to sacrifice every day. The, the sacrifice that dies only does that once. The living sacrifice has a continual opportunity to do that every day. And th that's what makes the Christian life work. The realities of, of what happens is that somewhere within you, at some point in your life, you recognize that God's got a better deal than the one you're presently working. So you, you make a new decision. You decide that you want God involved in your life. Salvation comes and, uh, and everything begins to change uh, more rapidly with some than with others, but it, it becomes a, a process. And there's an understanding, you know, if you uh, reflect over to John chapter uh, 15, verse 5, it, it says, Jesus said, without me, you're nothing. Hard for us to digest as humans because, you know, we got hands and feet, eyes and ears and, and you know, working things within us. So it's kind of like, well, just, I may not be much, but nothing. And uh, it's kind of, yeah, nothing because the comparison of what happens the, your old life is totally displaced with a new life that you need to learn to tap into, which I'm hoping that tonight will give you some clues on exactly uh, how, how do you go about doing that. See, it goes on to say in verse 12 of, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, uh, a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, some say reasonable service of worship. In other words, when you, when you take a moment to think about what God has done, that you would sell out to him seems to be one of those kind of no-brainer ideas. Of course you will, as you understand what he's done in this replacement of the old life with the new life that comes. So that, well, how, how do we make it work? And that's where verse 2 comes in. Uh, it's you know one of the best how-to verses in the scriptures. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that sounds delightful. So that's what the Christian life is all about, proving that good, acceptable, 
and perfect will of God that God has designed to put you, in a sense, on display on the earth. So that, how does it happen? Well, it says right there, you, you renew your mind. And so, obviously, that means some sort of informational intake. Because your, your mind is a processing unit. And, you know, as the saying goes, that you probably all know, that started some decades ago when computers first came onto the scene, garbage in, garbage out. So my challenge to you tonight is to give consideration to what you are, in a sense, giving your mind to. What are your major inputs? Because they will be controlling your life. Take a quick jump over to uh, Psalms 135. Uh, it, uh, it has some interesting statements in the mid-portion of it with the detriment of uh, not putting the appropriate things in your mind. These folks, these folks were worshiping idols. It says, and, and the Lord, beginning in verse 14, and on Psalm 135, 14. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. And those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. When you're trusting in something, it becomes the central focus of your mind. Renewed life comes, I mean, transformed life comes about by the renewed mind. So the idol worshipers are expecting things of what they put on their mind to provide for them in which they find hope or delight. The worldly folks have idols. And probably the unfortunate thing is if you run a measure on how you use your time, you may discover that you have some too. Because whatever you delight in is going to be a source that controls your desires. One of my uh, sort of life-directing verses is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard, guard the passions of your heart, for out of them proceed the issues of life. Uh, New American Standard of the you know, uh, version, this version says, watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flow the springs of life. Guard the passions of your heart, for out of that will proceed the issues of your life. That's why you have to keep a close tap on your passions, because they're directing the issues of your life. So what are, you, what are you most excited about? That comes the reality. And we're, one of the great detriments to the Christian life is unforgiveness. I bring that up, it doesn't seem like all of a sudden, well, how does that connect? Well, that, that connects with everything. You see, 
when you stop to think, what, what is the greatest thing that God has done for us? He's forgiven us. See, the reason that God can love us so fully is because he's forgiven us so freely. See, the reason that we can, in a sense, come boldly into his presence is because the price has been paid for us to get there. And every relationship you have, you'll discover if you don't utilize forgiveness, then you lessen the intimacy possibilities of that relationship. Because when you start holding something against someone, that creates the desire to not be near to them, to avoid them, to badmouth them, if you will. Uh, Jesus said that in, uh, in uh, Matthew 18 is probably one of the most... Uh, blatant expressions of the detriment of unforgiveness. Jesus is talking with his guys and, and he uses a parable to help straighten them out. Which, if you're familiar with the scriptures, he does that fairly often. Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse, verse 22 or 21, actually. Then, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. You've probably heard, but if you don't know, they, that was quite liberal. The, the Pharisaical, Pharisaical issue was three times, and that's sufficient. But So Peter doubled it and added one just to kind of get in the good graces of the Lord, we'd think. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, I say to you, uh, up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven which, of course, quickly figuring that would be 490, but basically that was an idiom for uh, endless, in, infinity. You, you keep forgiving. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he'd begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he didn't have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. He couldn't have done that, but actually, you know, he was trying to get out from under the uh, blight of what was just been judged upon him. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Whoopee! But, but that slave then went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. Now, so that you can kind of get a perspective on this, the previous slave had an unforgivable debt. You know, he, he had rent up his MasterCard, if you will, uh, to a point of uh, inability to pay. And the master forgave him. This guy owes him what would be a payable debt. In other words, he probably would have been able, if left to his diligence of labor, been able to have paid the debt that he owed. However, the slave said no. So that he demanded, right now, pay back what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience. What Does this sound familiar? Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Same thing that this other fellow had said at the presence of his Lord. But he was unwilling 
And he went and threw him in the prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So that gives you a sense of the essence of, you know, we liberally, freely, joyfully, happily receive God's forgiveness to us. But you discover that you can be a little stingy in giving that forgiveness to others as you find yourself in an offense with another. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Because of the capacity of our newness in Christ, we have the ability to forgive. We can become aggressive forgivers. But you will have to renew your mind in that fashion because we live in a get-even society. See, if, if you don't do things God's way, what way will you do it? The way that you've traditionally been taught, the way that you've learned, or the way that you have decided is right in your own eyes. <clears throat> That's why that the renewal of mind becomes so important that you begin to put that in saying, I must forgive as I have been forgiven. Probably just saying that once and agreeing with it within your mental capacities won't be enough when the offense comes. You can, you can check out your forgiveness factor the next time you're driving on Bell Road. It's a good place to practice, I found. You know, so you, you've got to get down to these basic little opportunities to forgive in order to be ready for the large one that comes your way. See, I, I had to recognize that when somebody cuts me off in traffic, they obviously have a priority that's higher than mine, and I'm glad I didn't have an accident, and the Lord blessed them, helped them get to wherever they're in such a hurry to get to. That's the way I reprogrammed myself so that I didn't have to go back to the Lord and say, well, Lord, you know, I, I exercised my, my judgmental capacities again towards somebody else. Please forgive me, and thank you that you don't deal with me in the same way that I tend to deal with my fellow humans. See, the uniqueness of what we've been given in our newness package in Christ contains everything that Jesus had. Jesus, in his humanity, trusted the same Holy Spirit that we get to trust to live the way he lived so that we can live as he lived. Probably won't be quite as proficient as he was, but we should be getting there. And how are we going to get there? Well, that's what the Romans 12, 2 verse is all about. Your transformed life is going to come about by your renewed mind. You've got to begin to, this, this new package that is coming to you in, in the life that Christ gives has everything we need in order to accomplish everything God requests. Have you ever thought about how inappropriate it would be for God to give us a command that we couldn't keep? 
if we can't keep it, then he can't command it. That's why we so desperately need new life, because we couldn't keep it without the new life. But with the new life, all of the commands become an option. So that we really have no excuse other possibly than lack of practice when we find ourselves not keeping a command. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's supposed to be and probably could be convicting until you begin to realize that, you know, the, the joy of conviction is that it always leads to God's empowered correction. See, it's not about me being obedient to God. It's about me being empowered to be obedient to God. And that's why that when we grit our teeth and pull up our bootstraps and try so hard to do what Jesus asked us to do, we end up the same place we did because we've got to honor his power and what he's done. There's uh, over in Luke chapter 7, if you turn ahead a bit. And again, if you're, you know, generally speaking, probably when you come on Wednesday night, you're pretty uh, familiar with the word. So this may be a familiar passage to you also. But again, it helps to, uh, to strengthen the point we're making and, and create the desire that we all want to have in uh, chapter 7 of Luke. I want to make sure I have, I have the verse I want to get to, but I need to see where, where we start. Uh, yeah, verse 36 is where we're going to start of Luke chapter 7. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to come and dine with him, talking of Jesus. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, uh, if this man were a prophet, uh, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. So it's always interesting when he does this. He hadn't said anything to Jesus. He was just thinking. And, and Jesus answered him, you know, so, so we don't get away with anything. <clears throat> uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, and yet she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Response of the folks, those who were reclining at the table began to say them to themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. That's why it's, it's so important that we understand the magnitude of God's forgiveness to us. Because when we understand how much we are forgiven, that gives us an idea of the magnitude of the love that he has for us. But the same is true with us. If we understand that love and the forgiveness factor involved in it, that's what gives us the capacity to forgive as we have been forgiven. It's not hard to understand sort of the justice or the inequity of my willingness to totally receive God's love and forgiveness, but then not give it to those who may offend me. When you understand the magnitude of the offense that God has against us, that he counts as not there. And that, that's why that we begin to understand what Jesus did. He's the one that made available to us this free flow of love from the Lord because he took the offense that we made on himself so that for his glory, yeah, it is about his love, it is about his, but it's mainly about the glory of God because when you look at understanding, what's, what's this whole glory thing about? And, and I really don't know. I think every attempt to try to figure it out, at least on my part, has been, has been weak to say that. But, but there's something about this glory factor that God wants us to try to understand. That the magnitude of what has happened in salvation uh, deserves an, an infinite standing ovation to God for what he has done and give him that glory. Because as, as you begin to do that, as you honor him, then he, he begins to display to you your direction of steps. Romans one twenty one says, When they knew God, they honored him not as God, and neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts grew dark. So, there's, there's, there's something to honoring God. The way you know you're honoring God is your thanksgiving factor. See, if, if you're not a thankful person, you're in big trouble. You're also in the dark. Because that, that's one way of expressing to God what he desires for you to do. See, I have, a, I have Bill's reversed version of you. I'm sure many of you have heard me do this. It's, it's not scripture, but it is, is biblically documentable. That when they knew God, they honored him as God and were thankful. They became wise in their considerations and were led into the light. It would make a very good verse, but it's not one. Uh, it's just the opposite of what it says in Romans 1.21, so that you can gather a process of understanding the importance of giving thanks to God. So that we're, uh, you know, just to, to give you a little, a little clue of... Uh, we're in an interesting season in our life. Uh, I have I've had some digestive issues that uh, you know were uh, of a bit of concern, because when you you get in my age, you never know when you're going to run into one of those fatal things. I guess you know, so that that's always kind of hanging out there because it's pretty sure death's still batting a thousand. One day I'm going to die, much to your disappointment, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, we can pretty well count on it. The Lord 
will either take me out or, or we're all going to die. That's our personal reality. And, you know, you get past a certain point in time and you begin to realize, well, it could be soon, or possibly. And so every symptom kind of runs through that grid. So uh, uh, part, part, <laughs> pardon me, I, I hope you don't think this is all that gross. It's one of the realities of, you know, that sometime in your life, if you haven't had one yet, you have a colonoscopy in your future. I had one on Monday. <laughs> the part I like about the colonoscopy is, is, not, is not the getting ready, but the during. Because the, the uh, anesthesiologist says to me, well, take four deep breaths. So about halfway through the fourth one, I don't remember anything. <laughs> and woke up in the recovery room. It's, I mean, that's just so cool. <laughs> you know, everything just went black. And then you wake up and the deal's done. Oh, okay, because, you know, if, if you're really interested, I suppose you can go on, uh, go, you can Google colonoscopy and get all sorts of stuff if you want to. I, I don't know, I haven't done it yet, nor do I intend to, uh, just a personal choice. But that, that was, that's my side. But Jan has had this uh, enduring, chronic, sometimes intense pain for a couple of weeks or more. And, uh, you know, and, and, and you're in that, kind of dark of wondering what it is and, and how can we get rid of it. And so we've been to emergency a couple of times and they didn't seem to help all that much. He had a couple of CAT scans, an X-ray, uh, a, a ultrasound, and, and, and everything was looking fine. And uh, she comes in to me uh, a few days back and says, I've got, I, I think I've kept the heating pad on my pain too long because I've got these red splotches here, so you need to put some Alvera on that, and, and so I, start, I started doing that, and she had had a, an appointment with her dermatologist that she made six months ago, and so she goes in to see her and, uh, you know, raises up her blouse, and she says, oh, you've got shingles. Oh, okay. Well, there's a sort of relief in that. Now we know what it is. Not much you can do about it, but at least we know what it is. So, so that, was, that was kind of interesting to, to see how all that worked because we made the discovery that, uh, and then she had another appointment uh, with uh, the uh, digestive doctor that we'd be going to just checking all the miscellaneous options. And, and he gave us some explanation of the symptoms of the way shingles work. And it was, you know, textbook as far as what Jan had been going through. So uh, she, that's why that she's not here is, you know, she's still in the process of, of enduring that thing. And, and it's like, okay, uh, but the joy is we have the ability to count it all joy. That's where you go to uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which says, count it all joy. Remember, you need to memorize these things. You know, that, the way this stuff is going to work is that you have it handy so that you can use it when you get the onslaught in your life. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith uh, produces endurance. And endurance, hence has its good works, leads you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, we're back to that same thing it says in Romans 12 too. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So there's a, there's a process that we as believers have to have in place in order to deal with the stuff of the world. Otherwise, we're going to be worshiping idols of some sort or another that won't work for us. Whatever we're looking to for the solution, if it's less than Jesus, I can guarantee you, 
it's eventually not going to work. And that's why we need to, rec to, to figure out some vitality of how is it that I'm going to develop the sort of relationship with Jesus that I need in order to accomplish that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And that means you may need to run both a, a time schedule, see what you're doing with your time, and then begin to develop some new appetites. See, we're, we're, we're appetite-driven. That's where you get back to that Proverbs 4.23 verse of guard the issues, of guard the passions of your heart. Out of them will proceed the issues of your life. Guard the appetites. What, what are you into? And do you know it's being designed by God to accomplish that which he wants in your life, which you livingly sacrifice before him every morning or every part of your day somewhere? You've got to have that in your schedule. I don't have any sense of apology. That's the best news you can hear. You've got to have some devotional time to our God to honor him in your day, every day, as long as it takes. It's just, it's not an option if you're going to live a powerful Christian life in the day of onslaught that we have of the attacks on our mind. We carry them around in our, you know, when, when I was growing up, digital wasn't even the word we used except for the fingers on our hands. They're our digits. I suppose that may still be true. Uh, but, you know, the, the closest thing to anything that we have today was Dick Tracy and his magical watch that he could only talk to somebody through and get some help on. Couldn't see anything in it. We didn't have a clue that could ever happen. And yet now we have access to the whole world in this unit that we carry around and call a phone. That, that's astounding to me. When you stop and think, how can that be? But you, know, you know how that was discovered? God gave somebody the idea. It all starts with God somewhere. I'm not sure it was the best thing he ever did. <laughs> but that's, that's just my opinion. <laughs> but uh, so, so we have these, these things at our disposal that can be distractions, or probably are distractions if, if you're not careful. So you don't have to take a phone call. You don't have to check your email or your Facebook situation. You don't, you don't have to do that. You can choose to it, and you can begin to put it in the place of an idol and begin to believe that you can't do anything else in your day until you've gone. That's not true. See, we have to confront ourselves with things of that sort, or we can get so easily tricked into worshiping an idol that we didn't even know was one. Guard the passions of your heart. They will direct the issues of your life. And so we, we validate things in our life by making them imperatives that are not really that. See, the imperative is understanding what God has done in order for us to do his will. So that if we understand our newness in Christ and the resource that that provides for us, then we can be the kind of quality of individual that can move into anybody's situation and be an asset. That word of comfort, that word of correction, that care of prayer, 
that loving arm around the hurting shoulder, that look that says, I care. That expression of an ability beyond what you knew you were capable. Uh, my, my first career was uh, radio. Uh, I was, I was a, uh, a radio disc jockey. I played uh, country music. So I have a certain affinity toward the Academy of Country Music Awards and that stuff. Uh, I interviewed Glenn Campbell at Academy Award, the Academy of Country Music Awards show number four. So this was number 53 or 43, something. Did I'm, I'm going to use this. I'm going to take a chance and use this. this. This is my interpretation of what I saw. If you didn't see the show, I'm sure you'll probably be able to Google it someday if you don't. But Carrie Underwood, who I'm a huge fan of, one, you know, ever since she did Jesus at the Wheel, I'm figuring she's probably a good girl. But she came out and, and sang her new song, and my interpretation, which is called, it's not about the song. As I was watching her performance, which I believe was God-inspired, even though it was just a typical country song, I think my interpretation was that she went beyond the ability that even she knew that she had in the singing of that song. I mean, there was a point in that song that I knew. I, it seemed to me that she was making an expression that was really God-empowered and beyond anything that Carrie Underwood could hope to do. I was just astounded. Now, it was either that was real or it was just God's gift to me through my interpretation. I, I, don't, I don't know. I still don't know. It's still a mystery why it, why it impacts me as it does, but it does. And, and the other interesting thing was that later in the show, she won an award for something that her and Keith Urban did together. Uh, and, and, and she came back and she was still under the impact, my opinion again, the impact of what God had enabled her to do in doing that song as she did it. Point. The point is, to me, that was an example of a living sacrifice. That God has given us all abilities. That, that we're able to do stuff good. But then we get to a point where it's about God taking over. And can I move on to that? I begin to think in my life, is there a place that I ever sold out to something to that degree? To just know that you've, gone, you've given it all and that God has allowed you or empowered you to go to a point that you didn't even know was there. living sacrifice. Now, you know, you can, 
I, even I, can, can easily uh, say, well, Bill, you're just being manipulative with your skills of what you're able to do verbally and emotionally in people's lives, and, and that may be true. But you need to evaluate those opportunities in your life that you find the issue of your life is discovering something. The discovery that God wants to use you as you trust you, as you trust him, as he empowers you for something far beyond the significance that you could ever dream. It's out there. And, and, and after those, those times, you are, you're, you're just completely drained, but you're so filled with joy and honor and glory to the Lord, you can hardly recover. Wow. See, that's, that's the sort of God I believe we're involved with. Now, you know, again, all of that was just, that's what I perceived. I don't know whether it's accurate or not, but it worked, it worked in me more possibilities of God's provision, direction, empowerment for my life. Wow. How did that come about? I have a phrase that I use on myself often that uh, it, it comes from, you know, watching sports teams and them just go through the basics, that, that out of the practice of the basics come the extraordinary. Out of the practice of the basics come the extraordinary. You can't practice the extraordinary. The extraordinary, the extraordinary will happen in a given moment at a particular point in time. And most of the people that I've talked to when they've done something like that, how did you do that? Well, I don't, I don't you know, you couldn't have had a plan for it. You don't plan the extraordinary. The extraordinary just happens. How? Well, it comes out of the repetition of the basics. And that's why my challenge to you is to look at your basic devotional experience on a daily basis or regular basis. I don't plan to send anybody on any extended guilt trips unless it helps. Uh, 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 but to begin to realize that, that we're, you know, it's almost like a lot of Christians are walking around in bankruptcy when they have a million bucks in the bank, because we do. But because we don't know how to use it or we don't know it's there, it just sits there as a resource unused. And so my challenge to you is you, you need to discover how to use all the magnificent things that God has promised in his word to those that honor him, give him glory, and believe in him. How does that work? How can you be a comfort to those that are hurting around you? You have to learn to begin to think like that. And, and God gives some direction. This is kind of, kind of a fun passage that, that explains our part and his part. It's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. It, it's very intriguing. Uh, and uh, you know, I've, I've got it memorized, but I'll let you turn there so I can turn there. And usually when I've got something memorized and want to do it for a point, it, some part of it goes away. <laughs> so... Uh, so just to be sure I get it, it uh, correct, verse 24 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Lord's bondservant, that be us, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. That's the first increment. God wouldn't ask us to not be quarrelsome unless he gives us the power to do it, but it does take some thought and some renewal of mind. 
must not be quarrelsome. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. So you, you look and say, okay, am I, am I, am I quarrelsome? Am I kind? Uh, can I communicate what God has done in me, through me, for me? See, there's, there's no, no, no one can ever neutralize your testimony. They may not believe in your God, but they cannot deny what God has done in your life because he's done it in your life and you know it and you need to be able to express that in a fashion of impact as you're explaining what you're all about. Able to teach. Patient when wrong. See, that's another one of those things that, well, no, he, he does, what does he mean by that? Well, if you look it up in the Greek, it means patient when wronged. Uh, it's just that case of, okay, you're, you're going to be wronged, but, you know, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, it says you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding the blood using Jesus as the comparison in your fighting against sin. So we don't have any excuse for not being patient. We really don't. You get that, oh, don't pray for patience. Yes, do pay for patience. It's one of God's greatest virtues, and it's also one of the most unusual things in our society. So, yes, patience is a huge witness. So, joy in the virtue of patience. But, okay, uh, and uh, so now, now here comes the part that's interesting. With gentleness, see, when, when you're in a conversation with someone and it begins to move beyond the boundaries of gentleness, then you need to stop because you've, you've just transgressed in the fruit of the Spirit. You're trying to make your point. See, when we realize that God is perfectly capable of making his point with or without our help, then we can rest and, and click back into that patience idea. So with gentleness correcting those that are in opposition, why? If perhaps, see that, that, that if perhaps will, will drive you crazy if you, you know, if you think about it, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. You know, and the question immediately, well, doesn't God want everybody to repent? Well, we'd certainly think so. But it would seem as though that if he doesn't grant it, they don't do it. So if perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. When you're in gentleness approaching those in opposition, it's, I, I found that gentleness goes a long way when you're dealing with somebody. It, it controls the whole atmosphere. If you click down into gentleness, then all of a sudden it changes the whole atmosphere. They may not change their mind, meaning God hasn't granted repentance, and so that's why that they stay trapped in the snare of the devil. Okay, that helps to understand it a little. But... God's working with the one that's in, in harmony with him. And if he grants repentance through a knowledge of the truth, then they will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. If he doesn't, then apparently they probably won't. God's deal. Our deal with gentleness in the approach, with understanding, with, with all the things that it talks about. And so that, that's tremendously liberating in the sense that it takes off of us the responsibility of making sure they change their mind. That's God's deal. God can do his work quite well. He doesn't need us in the equation, but he's chosen to open up and give us opportunities to his glory and to our great joy and benefit. You need to know 
Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore, which would indicate if, if, your, if your joy factor drops a bit, what's the cause? Possibly you've left the presence. Is in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. That's what we're looking for, men and women, as, as children of God. That's the issue that needs to be driving the passions of our heart. In his presence is fullness of joy. In his right hand, pleasures evermore. So, uh, conclusion. Uh, are you satisfied with your devotional life that it's equipping you as you present yourself as a living sacrifice every day in order to know that fullness of joy in your presence because in Nehemiah it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So that, that when we, that, that's been the amazing thing as I've watched my wife over the last couple of weeks is the joy still flows. And I know the pain that she's in, the sleeplessness of night that she's had, and yet the joy still flows. That's the power of God in your life. It's not exclusive to her. It's to every Christian because in his presence is fullness of joy. And, and we have to confront ourselves with our unbelief when our joy factor drops. And probably the main possibility is, well, I've left the presence. I've left the presence so I don't have the power. Simple. But, but the difficult part is, is developing that, that line of relationship with God that you know him to the level that you can confidently say, the joy of the Lord is my strength and his presence is fullness of joy. I've made the living sacrifice. I'm proving out God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for my life every day of my life. And then God will provide you with opportunities along the way. In our miscellaneous travels to varied and assorted doctors' offices and emergency rooms, we've had some wonderful opportunities to share our faith. Maybe that's what it's all about. Don't know. But that's happened in the process with people we would have never otherwise seen. Oh, okay. So God equips you through a painful situation or some virus or something in order to put you in places that you didn't know you were going to go so that you can say, uh, show up and say things you didn't know you knew. <laughs> Lord, we're thankful that in your presence is fullness of joy, that your word is true, that it never fails, that, that your goodness is beyond our, our ability to fully understand. Even as, as Brett so uh, faithfully taught about Job, you, you end up in conversation with you and you, you don't have anything to say other than... <laughs> Uh, Lord, I repent. I got a little stupid in, in my uh, desire to, to straighten you out on what was going on in my life. So, Lord, we do thank you. I know that everyone here has issues in their lives because we live in those kind of days. And I pray that you will take these words, uh, your words, and make them real in our lives to the glory of our Savior who gave himself for us so that we can give ourselves back to him and live the glorious Christian life empowered by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Glorify yourself in us, Lord Jesus. Amen.